As always, we consider it a great blessing to be able to be together today to worship God. As Andrew said, we have a lot missing, but we also have a lot of visitors. I want to thank you for being here. Assume that you're here because of the opportunity this day brings to have some family time, and we believe that's a, a blessing, and we want to thank God for that. We want to look into His Word today and consider some things that I trust will be encouraging and helpful for you. I want to tell you a story before I start my study. My father was a very pragmatic individual and not the greatest present giver ever. As a matter of fact, I don't recall him ever giving me a present, physical present. But he was also the guy that made the toast. He didn't cook a lot. Don't recall him cooking a lot at all, but he did make the toast. And he'd just take a cookie sheet and put the bread on it and put it in the oven and toast that side, turn it over, toast the other side, and we had toast. It was good toast. One Father's Day, we decided he needed a toaster. So we bought him a toaster, a four-slot, four you know, a big toaster. We put it on the kitchen table with a bowl or a card with it. I don't know exactly what. Just left it there. And when Daddy come in, he looked at that and said, where'd that come from? He said, well, it's a gift. It's Father's Day. And that was basically the end of it. I don't know that he ever used the toaster. He kept toasting the toast on a cookie sheet. So that's my genetic connection to gift giving. <laughs> so what I want to do is I want to look at what Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 7. And I want us to take to heart the things that we find in, that the Scripture says about gifts and about giving gifts and about receiving gifts. You know, a lot of Christian families this time of year get together and exchange gifts. <clears throat> and my father was a part of that too. I, he was there and we did that when I was a kid. We've done it all of my life. We got together the other night and we exchanged gifts. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. But notice what Jesus says here. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what is man is there among you who if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So, t Jesus, as always, uh, He teaches us many, many things here in Matthew 7. And what He teaches us here is there's a fundamental principle that if your heavenly Father can give you a good gift, or if your earthly father can give you a good gift, something that you want, 
something that you might enjoy, something that you would appreciate, our Heavenly Father can do that so much better. And so we kind of want to look at both of those things this morning and notice what the Bible says about giving gifts. So we're going to go here to Matthew 2. We know the story. The wise men, it says there was three wise men from the east. They saw the star, and they, they knew that Jesus had been born, and they came to see Jesus. And they went to Herod, said, how, how do we find Jesus? Well, Herod didn't know, so Herod asked the scribes or Pharisees or whoever that would know. And they told him, well, they're, you know, Bethlehem. And so the wise men went to Bethlehem. And it says, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Now I want us to remember, because this is really important, because it goes to the heart of these men. What was on their heart? It wasn't to go to Bethlehem and get a gift. Their heart was to take a gift and to worship Jesus. That was what was on their heart. And so the first thing they did when they get there is they worshiped the baby Jesus. Then it says they opened their treasures. Now they had a plan. I mean, they didn't just show up and then decide, oh, I guess we ought to find him a gift. You know, they couldn't go to Walmart and get him an heirloom. They were prepared. They brought treasures. And then when they opened these treasures up, it says they presented gifts. And the gifts were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I know there's probably a whole sermon in there about why gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But that's not where we're going. I just want you to notice that these were the gifts that they gave to this family. I don't think the gold was worth much to Jesus. But the gold was needed by the family for the things they were fixing to face. And so you can go through these and you can think about the different things that these gifts provided for this family. But this was a common thing to do. Isaiah 60 and verse 6, it says, The multitude of camels shall cover your land, the dromedaries of Midian and of Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and incense. So the gifts that these wise men brought to this family were, were not unusual. And you can find a lot of examples in Scripture. It was a common gift that they brought and that they gave to this family, but they, it was also a very useful gift, all three of them. Now I want to take you to John chapter 12. Here we have this scene. There they made Him a supper. They made Jesus a supper. That in of itself was a gift. And Martha served, it said. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, 
anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. So they had multiple gifts here. Somebody prepared a supper. Martha served this supper. That was a gift. Lazarus received the supper, as did Jesus. And then it says, Mary took this very costly oil and anointed the feet of Jesus. One of the things that we get lost sometimes when we start exchanging gifts It really don't matter what the gift cost. Now, there is merit to the idea of making sacrifice to give somebody else something. And I think that's part of what this is right here. It cost her something to do this. Now, it's not about the money. It's about the sacrifice that she made to do this for Jesus. And Jesus could have said, no, no. No, no, don't, don't do that. But that's not what He did, is it? There's value in the giving. Tremendous value in the giving. And so He let her give. And we'll notice later on in our study that Apostle Paul does the exact same thing because of the value in the giving. And so when we get together as a family and we start exchanging gifts, do we recognize and remember the value in the giving? I hope we do. Luke 7, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with, them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Similar situation here. She was a sinner. She recognized how desperately she needed Jesus. And she did what she could for Him. And He led her. And He led her. And one of the things that is so, so important in all of this discussion it's less about the gift than it is about the condition of the heart. And when you're receiving a gift, if you receive it graciously and you're thankful for it, and you recognize where it came from, and you acknowledge the sacrifice that was made to give you this gift, then receiving a gift is a blessing. And if you're giving a gift, and you're giving it for the right reason, and because you want to bless the other person, and you want them to have something that they can enjoy or that will benefit them, 
then obviously the giving is a blessing. If you give somebody a gift only to get something in return, you're not blessed. And you, we can see where this lady's heart was. Let's not forget that. Luke chapter 21, and he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. See, the, this story gives us a sense of true value. And we lose sight of that sometimes. I, I, I see this advertisement on TV. I'm sure some of y'all have seen it. But it's a man and his wife. And they're in the snow. And the guy gives his wife this beautiful dog. You know, and the dog comes running up through the snow, right? Well, he gives her a new pickup. A new GMC pickup. And he goes over and hugs that pickup, right? When we look at those things, and for a dog lover, that, that dog would just be priceless, right? For a pickup lover, that's a worldly, earthly perspective on a gift. And what this story teaches us is about where true value is. And it teaches us about how God sees value. Because He's looking on the heart. And if you can look into your heart and decide, you need to give me a new pickup, I, I'll just take that. But do we get the point? These rich people were throwing huge amounts of money into the treasury. But it says he also saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites. Two mites. I, I can't tell you how much it is. I just know it's not much. And he says, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. The value of the gift is not about the money and what it cost. Philippians 4, verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia... Paul was talking about when he first started preaching, things weren't necessarily all that great financially. And he says, No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift. Not that I seek the gift, he says. It's not because I got something. And in this case, it was something that he needed. It was a necessity. But that wasn't what it was about for Paul. I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. 
the value in the gift, the value in the giving. When we give, we give for the right reasons, we give good things, it's fruit that can abound to our account. Indeed, I have all in abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, he says, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God gives us what we need. And He blesses us when we give to others. And this is not the gospel of prosperity. That's not what I'm talking about here. And I don't believe that's what Paul's talking about here. But when our heart is in the right place and we give good gifts, it's a blessing to everybody involved. To the giver, to the receiver, everybody. And it pleases God. Wasn't sure where, where to say this, but I'm going to say it here. Young people, be thankful when you get a gift that you need. It's okay to just get things that are fun. That's okay. But it's good to get a gift that you need too. You need clothes. Be thankful when you get clothes. Be thankful when you get other things that you look at that and you say, I deserve that. I was owed that. I have another story. Mother's youngest sister, our Aunt Velma. Lovely person. A lot of you knew her. Very kind, generous, and she was a great gift giver. Looked forward to that Christmas party when they were there. Now, I don't know if Mark remembers this or not, but he and I were somewhere between 12 and 15 years old. And she gave us a gift. I don't remember what the gift was either, but I remember being disappointed because I thought it was a gift for a child. And I wasn't a child. I wish she was here to try again. I, I'd be more thankful. And I don't want you to ever forget that. Because her heart was in the right place. Mine was not. You know, the Apostle Paul says later on, and well, maybe it wasn't later on. Maybe he had already talked about being content here in Philippians 4. 
But contentment is such an important part of being thankful and gracious about receiving gifts. Let's not forget those lessons and be thankful for what we get. Romans 15, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and be helped on my way there by you. If first, I may enjoy your company for a while. You know, and one of the things we talk about, and, and I, I remember my parents talking about these things, is one reason we value this time of year is families get together. And I know everybody don't have the same traditions, and I, I get all of that. But what I want us to remember and think about in the context of what the Apostle Paul says here is, do we enjoy our church family? We should. It's one of the great blessings that God has given us. And he says... I hope I may enjoy your company. And if we're not careful, we develop other priorities and we neglect that gift that we are to each other and that we can be to each other. And we forget how extremely important it is to have these relationships and to enjoy the fact that God has blessed us in that way. So I want to make a little transition here. Because I think there's an important warning about where we take some of these ideas. I hope I was clear. I believe exchanging, giving, and receiving gifts is good. I, I hope I was clear about that. But we have to teach our children and caution our children about restraint. So, we had 29 the other night for Christmas. And I'm not blaming him, I'm just saying that I'm like my father, and so giving gifts and picking out gifts is not one of my strong points. So, Mama takes care of all that. She got a present for everybody that was there. You know how she did that? She got a list. So I want us to think about what we're teaching our children when we say, what is your wish list? What do you want? When you go to the Sonic, parents, do you pull up, look at the menu, turn to your kids and say, what do you want? I've done it a thousand times. And there's so many ways our, our culture does that same thing, the exact thing. What do you want? 
And then we do everything we can to satisfy that want. And it's okay to want. It is. And you have to decide what to eat. And you have to decide what to give somebody for a gift. But let's remember, and let's teach our kids, and let's show our kids, too much of a good thing is not good. Psalms 10 and 3, For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. So what happens to our want? It quickly crosses the line from being okay to being just plain everyday greed. And grandparents, I know this is a no-no, but grandparents, when you decide I'm going to get everything my grandchild wants on their list, you're not doing them a favor. We've got to be cautious about how we approach these wants. The Bible is very clear. Satan takes our desire. He takes what we want and he turns it into sin. And it's okay to want a new pickup or a dog or whatever you, you want until it turns into greed. And then it's not okay. It's not a blessing. It hasn't helped you. And it's all a matter of perspective. In Hebrews 13 and verse 9, Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied therein. Does that verse mean that we shouldn't eat? Well, no, we have to eat. Is it okay to enjoy what we eat? Yes, it's okay to enjoy what you eat. But it doesn't profit us. Why? Well, we enjoy it. But then we need to eat again in a little while. How many of you remember what you got for Christmas last year? Don't show your hands. Just think about it. I'm sure some do. I'm sure some do. But I'm also sure a lot don't. Because there's no lasting profit to any of these earthly things. We've got to remember that. That helps us keep the right perspective. Proverbs 25 and verse 16, Have you found honey? I come home the other day, and there was 216 pounds of honey in my living room. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that's lots of honey. And I like honey, but not that much honey. Have you found honey? honey? And this, this, we need to understand what he's saying. Have you found something you enjoy to eat? enjoy eating. Eat only as much as you need lest you be filled with it and vomit. 
That's pretty graphic. But that's exactly right. Take any good thing and you overdo it and it will make you sick. Proverbs 27, verse 20, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. And that's just the way, that's just the nature of the flesh. You put, you put together your Christmas list and you get everything on that list. And most of us, if that happens, we can start another list. There's never any satisfaction because that's the nature of the flesh. So I want to contrast those earthly gifts we talk about, talked about with some things that, as Jesus said, your earthly Father can give you a good gift, but our Heavenly Father gives much better gifts. Jesus answered and said to her in John 4, If you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God, He says, He's talking about himself. So, when the wise men took the gifts, they gave the gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh, they gave those gifts to God's gift to us. So they did exchange gifts, didn't they? Greatest gift ever, <laughs> right? Second Corinthians 8 and 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, remember what we said about sacrifice and about how we value gifts? He was rich, the Bible says. He was with God in heaven. He was rich. And he gave that up. Yet for your sakes he became poor that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What a great gift. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that's why today, when we come together, we're going to remember the death of Jesus because that's what God has asked us to do. And because that's how every blessing in Jesus Christ flows. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Acts 20. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. He's talking to the Ephesians elders here, I believe. Which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one, no one silver or gold or apparel. Now, let's pay attention here. Paul says, I, I, I've not coveted any of those things that are necessary there's nothing wicked about having coal, silver, gold, or apparel unless it's covetousness. So he says, not coveted that. 
Yes, you, you yourselves know, the apostle says, you know. How did they know? They saw it. And he says, you know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So, think about this and you consider the fact that he's talking about necessities, well, you'd say, well, those are earthly things. But what is He teaching them here? He's teaching them a lesson and giving them a gift that's far, far greater than any of those things. And what is the gift? The gift is the knowledge, the knowing, if you will, that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That's the gift. God has given it to us. And Paul showed it to them. And it's against everything this world believes. But it's more blessed to give than to receive. 2 Corinthians 9. While you're enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. So there were saints, the people that had needs, there were other saints that were helping these needy folks, and God was getting the glory. God was getting the glory. Now again, it involved the giving of gifts. They were giving them money, so they were giving them necessities. But God was getting the glory, and He was receiving thanksgiving for what was happening here. This is God's people at work. but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God, while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of, Jesus, of Christ, and for your liberal sharing with them and all men, and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. This is God's people doing what God's people do. Helping each other, giving, receiving, being thankful, praying for those in need. That's what he's talking about when he says, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. It's us. It's us doing what God wants us to do and giving Him the glory. It's an indescribable gift, Paul says. John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world give, gives do I give to you. 
Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And I, I wasn't sure what to do with this because there's a thousand things that God gives us just like peace. And, I, and I'm not trying to minimize anything that God does for us. I just decided to use this one to remind us and to, and to bring your mind to the idea that, that God gives us all of these intangible blessings. <clears throat> Unlike anything we can ever get in the world. Forgiveness, hope, peace, contentment. I mean, it, thousands of things that you find in Scripture that God through Jesus Christ freely gives us. And blesses us with. Ecclesiastes 2, the wise man says this, Nothing is better for a man that, that, than that he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. It's a good thing. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. Do we see what he's talking about here? He's not talking about unrestrained pursuit of worldly things. He tried that. Solomon did. That didn't work. But to enjoy the fruit of your labor with self-control and with discipline is good. And that's a gift from God, he says. Came from God. When you couple those things with wisdom and knowledge and the joy we find from being a child of God, then it's a great blessing. But to the sinner, he says. He gives the work of gathering and collecting. Just can't ever have enough if you're all about what you want. He gives the work of gathering and collecting. that He may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Without a spiritual perspective, these worldly things will just drown us. Romans 8, 32, who he, did not, he who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? 1 Timothy 6, 17, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Trust God. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. And He gives us, with these resources that most all of us enjoy in abundance, the opportunity to bless others. Let them do good, be rich in good works, willing to, to share. 
let's take advantage of that and share these good gifts that God has given us. As we wrap up here, I want us to think about what he says here in James 1. Every good gift, every good gift, and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So every good gift comes from God. I hope we've showed you that this morning. So if that's true, let's not forget the giver. So I want to close with this story in Luke 17. Then as they entered into a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers. And we know how leprosy was during this time. It was fatal. Uh, The law of Moses required that they separate, live in a leper colony, if you will. You'll notice here it says, when they saw Jesus, they stood afar. That was because that's what the law required. It's terrible. It was terrible. But it says they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when He saw them, when He saw them, He he knew. He knew what they wanted. He knew what they needed from a fleshly perspective. And He said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. Now the reason he told them that is for them to be incorporated back into the Jewish society, the priest had to declare that they were free of leprosy. Rarely ever happened. But that's why he sent them to the priest. And it says, while they were on their way to the priest, as they went, it says, they were cleansed. And then this is where it gets puzzling. You know they had to be thrilled to death. All ten of them. They had to be thrilled to death that their leprosy was cured. But nine of them forgot the giver. Doesn't mean they weren't thankful. Doesn't mean they didn't appreciate it. Doesn't mean it didn't have value, but they forgot the giver. One of them, it says, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Where are the nine? They were playing with their toys. That's where they were. They forgot the giver. 
Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And I, I don't know that we know what happened to the other nine. Don't be like that. Don't forget the giver. Because James said, God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. The lesson is yours. Thank you for your attention today. Never want to close without offering an invitation. If you have a spiritual need today, we want to help you with that. If we can pray with you, or if you have a desire to obey the gospel, one of either group, please come and have a seat here on the front while we stand and sing.